Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the Current Events with Max and Colborn miniseries on the foundational texts of crypto art. We are excited to be here, we being myself, Max Cohen, and my trusty co-host, Colborn Bell, founder of the Museum of Crypto Art. Colborn, what's up today? How are we doing? We're hanging in. It's a long one, but a good one. As so many of them are, and uh, painfully not enough of them are. Um, So last week, we spoke about the Cypherpunk Manifesto by Eric Hughes. And this week we wanted to come a bit more current. That was a piece from 1993 and we are moving all the way to 2018 to the very, very beginning of crypto art. And this is a crypto art focused episode. The text we want to talk about today is by Art Gnome himself, Jason Bailey, perhaps the godfather of modern crypto art, or at least the person who put a lot of the swirling ethos of the swirling ethos of crypto art that was in the ether into words, giving it a name, giving it a shape, giving it a form. Um, this piece is titled, What is Crypto Art? It was written in January of 2018. And to my knowledge, it was the first time that those words were even uttered, crypto art. Art Gnome makes a point of saying that he's going to call this thing crypto art, stylized as one word um, with both crypto and art uh, capitalized. But this is about as formative a text as it gets for crypto art itself as an art movement. I think it is something that will be absolutely studied by future art historians just because of its implication. Um, But one of the things that is really interesting about it and the thing that's going to take up our time today is that Art Gnome laid out 10 characteristics of crypto art that he said was, at at least at the time, universal to all crypto art, what made crypto art crypto art. So we're going to go through all 10 of these things and talk about what they mean, why they're important. Colburn, you ready to uh, go ahead with that? Yeah, I'm super excited. And I actually really enjoyed the the points you just made about how he stylized it, because obviously that is not the way we stylize it at the museum. Yeah, we stylize it as two separate words and never uh, capitalized. No style guide told us to do that. I'm not sure why it became that way. Do you remember when you made that shift, uh, when you were like thinking about early museum writings? Yeah, well, I mean... Uh... Oh, the Museum of Crypto Art was never capitalized? No, no, no. Uh, Crypto Art itself. Oh, Crypto Art is, uh, well, one, it wouldn't be mocha, right? Unless it was two words. So that was really Mm. important. No, it's really difficult to say the mock. Mock. Um, Yeah, you know, and, but I think, you know, what what Art Gnome is doing here is he's playing off of things like Crypto Kitties, Crypto Punks, uh, which are stylized as one word, but separately uppercased. Separately uppercase and also able to be extricated from itself, one half of the word from the other and still be understood. Crypto kitties is more often just talked about as kitties and punks, obviously, as right. punks. But anyways, let's jump right in. So the first thing that Art Gnome talks about with crypto art, what makes crypto art crypto art, is digitally native. Uh, for the first time, artwork can be created, editioned, bought, and sold digitally. Now, I think this is really interesting, especially because of what we talked about uh the other week on the podcast with Norman Rockwell Museum digitizing and then minting as NFTs old photographs that he took throughout the 1900s. And I think it's really interesting, this idea that the work itself must be digitally native for it to constitute crypto art. We've seen that that has obviously not been the case time and time again. We have wonderful physical artists like Andre Siegelbaum, Siegelboim rather, who are gifted painters and they digitize the work thereafter. Um, 
So this does not seem to be, to me, something that has been a strongly preserved value in crypto art. I'm curious your thoughts on it, Colborn. Yeah, you know, obviously this, this is not the first time that artwork was created digitally or edition digitally or bought, but it does inherently have to be digitally native because crypto itself is digitally native. That makes sense. Um, and I guess in the same way that fiat currency can be turned into crypto art, um, I mean, I guess even the process of digitization of a physical work is itself part of the creation process. Token Tokenization is digital. Tokenization is digital. Um, we can invoke Pindar Van Arman here, whose works go back and forth between the physical and the digital worlds being painted by robots in the real world and then digitized again until that line is completely muddied. But the process is not complete. The artwork is not complete until it has been digitized. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I'm a, I was a journalism major for the first couple of years in college and I've been taught, rigorously taught, to examine what words in a sentence carry the most weight or the heaviest. And it seems like in the sentence for the first time, artwork can be created, editioned, bought, and sold digitally. The word that's pulling the most weight is can. Not has to, but can. And I think it's all of those things together, right? They, it can be created, editioned, bought, and sold all together within that token. That, that is what the artwork is doing. Number two, geographically agnostic. Empowered by the internet, artists participate from all over the world. Crypto art is the first truly global art movement. What do you think about that? I think Art Gnome himself, you know, kind of went out there and proved it in the very beginning with the people that he was meeting, um, the artists that he was lifting up. Um, you know, you have Robbie from, I believe it was, you know, West Virginia, and you have Osanachi. Um, and you know the work that Kate Vass was doing at the time to find and discover and highlight and, and showcase artists. Um, it, it leans a little to me, again, we had that discussion on the Techno Optimist Manifesto of it can be geographically agnostic and mm -hmm. in its ideal and purest form it is, but it doesn't necessarily represent and, and manifest itself that way. Of course. Well, we know that Art Gnome was engaged with um, Creeps and Weirdos, which was the early um, data.art um, minted collection where artist royalties were encoded. And yep. I know that within this article, um, or perhaps within a related article, he invokes Mohara Gonzalez specifically uh, from Mexico. He invokes uh, Norma Jodayara from Argentina. Yeah. And I think it is lost on us that we have, you know, People from the global south, people from America and Europe, people from all over Asia who are all creating within this same ecosystem. I think that's a lot of the reason why the aesthetics have continued to be so madcap. And you know I, I mean? would uh, I would say that that largely, let's say, leans more Dada than it does something like Rare Pepe. Interesting. Can you say more about that? I, I just think the early rare Pepe community largely consisted of Western white males. Fair enough. Who recognize that symbology. But I think the point remains that like, again, it's about the ability of everyone to be here at the same time as crypto art has evolved. It's obviously become much more global. Um, and whether we're talking about like collectives, like making it 24 seven, which are composed of members, I think on four or five different continents, maybe more um, all engaging in the same art movement with the same platforms, knowing the same people influenced by the same cabal of early artists. And this leads into the next point too, that it's democratic and permissionless. Everyone encouraged to participate regardless of skills, training, class, gender, race, age, creed, etc. 
Well, here we really won, I think. You know, everybody, uh, I think for a long time, everybody was encouraged. And then I think kind of the market took over and uh, people certainly were encouraged to participate, but they were probably encouraged to participate for the wrong reasons. And certainly if you were a skillless uh, <laughs> artist, you know, I don't know if anybody was really encouraging you to participate or maybe they were. Um, and maybe you have mixed feelings about choosing to participate. Uh, but certainly at, at, in the beginning, you know, again, places, I think especially Dada, these are really, to me, these are, are really early principles that Dada held more than some of these other early communities held. And there's a reason Dada's legend is so powerful, uh, even to this day, and their legacy is so widely felt. I want to return to one thing you said, though, which is that, like, the market had an effect on this in terms of the encouragement. I'm curious if you think that the market itself is hostile to to the values of crypto art itself well i mean i think gas fees are inherently hostile yeah i do and you know at the end of the day this does become pay to play uh mm. and you can colonize as much space on these blockchains as early as possible only to the extent that you can afford to do so you think that's why a place like tezos became so popular with smaller artists or global artists 100 percent. have you seen the same kind of enthusiasm from different geographies and cultures and ages and races and creeds, et cetera, on zero one, where there is really no barrier to entry? I mean, absolutely. You know, there were a, a scant handful of Japanese artists um, participating in early crypto art, but, you know, you begin to look at our, our geographical penetration and Japan is number two with almost 700 users. Interesting. Right. Which I had no idea. And, and it's incredible to see, the relationship that they have when the economic model is different and how this might be a closer mirror of their culture and what they value and how they mm -hmm. might want to share their art as opposed to participate in something that is perhaps uh, less egalitarian. I mean, you know, also a very technology first culture. Um, obviously, Takashi Murakami is like this incredibly powerful figure, not just in global aesthetics, but in like modern pop aesthetics, which are so widespread in crypto art, this like ultra colorful, very cartoonish, you know, very uh, obviously like animated, if not actually animated, then with a lot of um, intimation of movement. Um, so much of that aesthetic has carried over and become quite proliferated within crypto art itself. I mean, Jenny Sue, uh, the Tokyo artist, we see that in her work as well. Uh, and she's an incredibly gifted user of like color and evoker of scenes. But yeah, it, it's quite interesting. Anything else you'd like to say on this topic before we move on? Uh, you know, I, I should probably shout out again, all of our dear friends in Argentina who for, you know, many reasons were leaders. And I think, again, they carry a lot of what it means to be a crypto artist uh, not needing permission, but almost demanding attention by just the, the strength of the art and doing it kind of out of necessity of, of wanting to and deserving and recognizing that they deserve a global spotlight in this. Yeah. And having a strong reason to do so with the economic situation there. Uh, I mean, crypto, crypto itself is a solve, but especially being an artist there where you're able to hit this, like, I don't know, enter into this dual new world of a 
more stable currency as well as an art movement that again you can demand to pay attention to you it didn't matter if you were not a if you weren't living in russia at the time of russian constructivism you couldn't demand attention on your work it would be too it would be mm -hmm. categorized by whatever culture you were creating and by whatever influences would be geographically near at hand and mm -hmm. that's completely faded away completely faded away um we almost never talk about the influences on an artist being cultural, which is a negative in its own context as well. But it's also, I imagine, in some use cases, quite freeing. So number five on Art Gnome's list of what is crypto art? You missed number uh, four. Not, that was, oh, oh, sorry. Number four. Uh, decentralized tools and guidelines are designed to reduce the power of gatekeepers and middlemen and increase the autonomy of artists, which is a pregnant statement. Um, and yeah, I can almost like imagine a, the face you're making. <laughs> I mean, that's just like a major W, right? Like everybody, everybody wins. We won this, this we did. I think mm -hmm. the, I think these tools, I think these guidelines, I don't know what that really means, but we have very successfully reduced the power of numerous gatekeepers and numerous people have, have risen in this regard. Uh, and you know, it, 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 uh, you know, gatekeeper is a really, really dirty word in crypto art. Um, yeah. and, and so is middleman. And, uh, you know, there is an inherent rejection of this. The desire is to be more free. Uh, and, you know, I think we are continuing to see those that provide tooling for artists be more successful than those that posit to be marketplaces. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, we talked about this the other day with X copies, new algo bro mint on manifold, but things like manifold and Zora where people are able to pretty easily um, have control over their own smart contracts. I mean, that's the next, that's the next wave, right? It's continued decentralization. Do you think that we're getting more decentralized over time? Or do you think it is this ebb and flow between centralized powers and decentralized tools? Look, I, I do think it's ebb and flow, and I think the most successful artists will need to learn how to navigate between those. The fact of the matter is we need both, right? We need places that aggregate eyeballs and showcase work. At the same time, those that have risen are going to increasingly move away from these places into their own domains, right? So... Mm -hmm. You know, in the beginning, it was great that there were, were these marketplaces that were aggregating eyeballs on various artists. If you went to one looking for something, you might find something else and that would pull you further and further in. But at the same time, eventually that no longer becomes useful because it's too flooded, right? Mm -hmm. So whereas Super Rare was great in the beginning and it was a manageable amount of information flow when Super Rare became popular, it was impossible for me as a collector be to begin to parse all of the culture that was being uploaded and created in kind of this, this doom scroll screen that they provided. And then you have all of these signals that you do not know whether they're, they're true or valid from people you do not recognize. Uh, so it becomes almost negative value add to be there. And instead you kind of turn back to places like Twitter where people are responsible messaging and crafting their own story and narrative. Uh, so I think both of these things are incredibly important. We need collection and aggregation uh, and points of reference for where culture can be created and shared and distributed. But at the same time, we also need tooling for when the artist needs to kind of block all of these things out and be in charge of their own narrative. So number five goes into what we were speaking about 
last week with the cypherpunk manifesto number five is anonymous use of pseudonyms allows artists to create and sell art while staying anonymous if preferred freeing them from social judgment and we see this in really freeing ways we see this in really dramatically hostile ways uh whether we're talking about artists on the positive end like claire silver who's been able to maintain a aesthetic cohesion, especially of Claire's image, despite being anonymous. And we see this in really harmful ways when it comes to these influencers um, who are able to maintain anonymity, uh, even after, as they do pretty horrendous and opportunistic shit. We talked about this topic at length last week. So any if you have any points on it, um, I'd love to hear them. Otherwise, we can move on. Mm, not really. It just at the end of the day, you always presume that these people are just individuals behind their keyboards living lives like you when in reality they could be any sort of amalgamation of you know something as benevolent as perhaps like a creative studio to something that is uh that might have i don't want to say nefarious but perhaps you know, more nefarious <laughs> more ill intent on how they they go about manipulating and, and why they are trying to shift and move social opinion their way absolutely so number six is mimetic. And this is the first part of Art Gnome's 10 piece, what is crypto art that I think addresses aesthetics specifically. It says crypto art are often literally memes valued for their ability to spread quickly. The difference, the meme economy is now reality. So this was obviously inspired by Rare Pepe and the Rare Pepe movement, which began, I believe in 2016, and which even at the time at which Art Gnome was writing this had already led to, I think like five figure sales for Pepe memes. Uh, yeah, the, the rare Pepe meme ecosystem was, there were all these rules for what could constitute a rare Pepe and how many they, that could be made and, and the structure that they needed to display. Um, but we see this time and time again, uh, you know, we invoked um, X copies, right click save as guy earlier, um, or I believe actually in the last episode, um, talking about CCO, but that these pieces are able to take on lives of their own and spread and be, and be remixed and be rethought and be challenged within the context of their own aesthetics is fascinating. It happens constantly. Any um, powerful examples of that you can think of? Well, you know, I think the context for this article was that uh, Art Gnome had just come back from Rare Digital Art Fest in New York City, uh, where he saw the Homer Pepe card sell for $39,000. And I can imagine at the, at the time this really blew everybody away. So this was an arrival moment that few were privy to um, and I think that's what probably caused him to sit down and be like, okay, what is going on here? Let me try and break it down. You know, beyond Rare Pepe's, the mimetic power of something like CryptoKitties at the time cannot be understated uh, when you have all of these tech bros effectively for the first time crashing Ethereum to breed these digital cats. And it was total, total nonsense, you know? and you know, one of my all-time bad peak market purchases was going in and paying something like four and a half Ethereum for a Gen Zero unbred crypto kitty, um, you know, which sits in my wallet today collecting dust. Uh, as a remnant, uh, a record of <laughs> terrible. As a record of my own mimetic stupidity. Yeah, funny story. I mean, we again, we see it all the time. We see it in things like when uh, Alpha Centauri Kid dropped the uh, Broken Keys collection, which had all these pianos, and then all these other artists started to make homage pieces with pianos. Yeah. We saw it with, um, Blue. yeah, the Tijo Blue, the Grand um, Cow, 
the grant. Yeah, exactly. These are incredible examples. Um, and how these memes can continue to live on and they continue to kind of like build a life for themselves and these pieces and these themes that these artists build on, they have this longer life because of the remixing and the uh, transportation of the idea from one person to another, from one artist's creative output to another. It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, trash art, like trash art was really, Tra really yeah. one of this as well. And spam art now is the same, it carries the cultural torch. It's it's so, so true. Shout out Jay DeLay, who's just a brilliant, brilliant thinker. Yeah, shout out Dave Le Jay DeLay. Shout out uh, The Professor, who I always yeah. see dropping spam art pieces, and obviously all the trash art royalty, Robness, Max Osiris. Ferris Bullish. Um, Eric Rhodes. Yeah, it's a fundamental part of, of crypto um, because, it's a fun because crypto is born of the internet, and memes are the fundamental communication system of the internet itself, so... And and wait, let me let me just real quick shame mark of shame all of the uh, all of the profiteering that was done around like old memes that came onto the internet and were then sold. Uh, I I don't know if that was very cool. Shame on you. <laughs> Whoever you are. <laughs> That's really how Foundation got its legs. I Is it? That was, I thought that was that was that was a dirty move, Foundation. Shame on you, Foundation. Um, okay, number seven. Who will we shame in point number seven? Uh, crypto art is self-referential. Crypto artists often play with references to key events and personalities within cryptocurrency and blockchain culture. Ding, 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 ding. Like this this obviously fucking wins. You know, the, the ability for digital culture to respond instantly to itself is one of the hallmarks of creation, spontaneous creativity. Um, you know, Mohara, absolute master of this. Uh, you know, I think people kind of uh, won in this regard with the dailies. Anything that is able to speak to itself in the moment. I loved the a lot of money piece when Reddit fucked Wall Street. That was amazing. <laughs> um, there's, you know, uh, all of the right click save as memes. It's, uh, it's really, really powerful. It's really, really powerful to be able to instantaneously respond and then spread it globally. I actually think that this piece or this uh, aspect of Art Gnome's um, manifesto here is a little bit too uh, limited in its vantage point because it's not just key events and personalities within cryptocurrency and blockchain culture. It's evolved to be so much more than that. Uh, things get pulled into crypto and blockchain culture by the way that crypto art is self-referential, uh, which I think is really interesting. I mean, you go back and, and you look at the art that was created and it's almost a timeline of history as well. Right, you see the, the the popular media events which bridge that divide and something that is generally two separate worlds, uh, which makes me continue to believe that NFTs and this technology and the expression of visual language is what will continue to bring crypto to the mainstream. Well, speaking of what brings crypto to the mainstream, let's talk about point number eight, crypto patrons. Crypto art is collected by the crypto rich, a group of savvy technologists and investors who got into cryptocurrency early, which I think is undeniable when it comes to early crypto art. But I think what we saw in the crazed manic acquiring of every possible asset throughout 2021, that their crypto rich people are no longer the only folks who could be um, induced to be interested in crypto art and that it is now, especially because the tools to purchasing crypto art and holding crypto art are a bit more mainstream. You know, we have Coinbase commercials on TV in the glory days before the fall, there were FTX commercials on TV. Um, 
shame on FTX. Um, shame. Shame. Shame foundation, shame FTX. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty hard to lump them, but yeah, whatever. For very different reasons and <laughs> very different levels of intensity. But I'm curious, uh, just a quick question on this point, like the next wave of people who are going to be interested in crypto art, should there be a next wave of people who are going to be interested in crypto art? Do you think they will also be these crypto rich folks or do you think they'll be coming from the masses instead? This is this is really, really tough for me because I think we didn't do a good enough job explaining to the crypto rich why they need to be supporters of crypto, right? And, you know, maybe they don't understand that this is a pathway to to greater mass adoption um maybe they don't understand the value of art maybe it you know continues to feel silly to them it's not something they're enmeshed in but who are going to be the crypto financial titans that step up in the way that kind of you know take hedge fund titans for example we're going and continuing to set these record prices for artists uh, when are they going to say that this art is valuable to them? When is Vitalik going to start an art collection? When is Brian Armstrong going to start an art collection? You know, it's so funny to me how much venture capital went into funding the platforms, mm -hmm. but so little of it went into the, the to actually buying the assets. And, you know, I think, I think the fact of the matter is, is everybody is so beholden to this idea that it's better to sell, uh, you know, picks and axes in a gold rush. Sure. Right. But you know what the best thing is, is to actually own the gold. To own a lot of the gold. Yeah. Just go in and own, own the gold. And those opportunities still exist. Like these artists are still here. They've proven it. Uh, but interestingly enough, you know, it, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of independent research. It's probably really outside of venture mandate to go and begin to decide what is good art. These decisions really come from individuals. And, you know, there are wonderful curators, frankly, who should be used more and leaned on more to help people decide and understand what is good art. And there's, you know, incredible people with incredible knowledge of this. So, you know, I think in time, this will even out. Well, for the next bull run, we know what we need to do better. Yeah, go, you know, go make preach your, the gospel. Go make your rich crypto friend buy a bunch of crypto art. No, more than that. Go make your normal rich friend go buy a bunch of crypto art. Yes, make them give that wealth to artists. And shame on you if you don't. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and if, especially if you buy it on Foundation. Yeah, fuck Foundation. <laughs> So uh, num <laughs> number nine, I, I, as I was reading this just now, I came up with my very obvious shame, but number nine is pro artist blockchain platforms often take little to no commission from artists. Artists are often remunerated for every future sale of a single work. So first of all, heavy lifting in that one often, um, and shame on OpenSea. Yeah, truly. And blur all the people who supported blur, you ruined the market. You're monsters. Shame on you and shame on the platforms. Yeah, you praetor people. But yeah, it's important to note that like this has been perhaps the most heated topic of debate in the last epoch of crypto art is why are platforms of note either not at all or not doing enough to safeguard the artists and making sure that royalties and remunerations are guaranteed on sales? Um, why when OpenSea releases its creator studio, do they 
say we're taking 10% from every sale. Why is that? It's just, it's so beyond the pale, perhaps because this pro artist mindset has been here since the beginning. Look, it was a really, I'm going to say it fucking wild race to the bottom. Um, and you know, the artists didn't protect themselves. The technologists empowered the artists not to protect themselves, but there is a reason why traditional galleries place works with certain collectors, right? And the artists did not maintain that responsibility to begin to place their works with certain collectors. Everything was either how many editions can you sell on an open edition or how much is somebody willing to pay for your work? And those have to be some of like probably the, the worst people <laughs> who, who you want to be holding your work. Yeah. Because Nifty Gateway really, when they released the open edition, really fostered a community of, of flipping. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of did its own marketing. You buy this and five minutes later, you can flip it for a hundred dollars more. So people were buying a bunch of stuff that, that they didn't actually want. They didn't care. And, you know, when somebody actually doesn't care, then they're really poor stewards of that work. And long-term, I, I find that very, very harmful to the artist. A lot of this is about stewardship. When we failed in stewardship um, and, you know, a marketplace is, is not going to be your steward. And it can also always be, have blame placed on the platform because something like Artblocks, which is an incredibly powerful generative tool, uh, for artists like that also became quite commoditized just in the nature yeah. of the assets that it was putting out. It's not like Artblocks or Snowfro's fault that Chromie Squiggles became an investment tool um, because they were unique and had rarities attached to them. So it's a combination yeah. of like markets, marketplaces not doing enough. And obviously we can't expect them to do very much. And also the kinds of people that were here. Look, and the sad thing is, is that digitally native democratic and permissionless and decentralized does not lead itself to be pro-artist. It leads itself to be pro-capitalist because all of these things, again, they, they race towards, towards zero. And uh, the only thing that was protecting, you know, information is abundant, culture is abundant, digital items, this, this is abundance. We live in abundance and we were trying to put scarcity on abundance and it worked in small numbers, but it doesn't work if you actually want to be democratic, permissionless, and decentralized. Boom. Great point. Um, all right. Let's close out today with number 10, which is probably the most important point here of all. Um, dankness. dankness. Because Crypto Art is open to everyone. Dankness, baby. Because Crypto <laughs> Art is open to everyone. Judging it by traditional artistic standards kills what is great about it. Instead, right. it is best to judge Crypto Art by dankness or potency of expression and creativity. And this to me is everything that I love about crypto art. Amen. Yeah, because the technical brilliance is so widespread, because the aesthetics are so vastly just apex, because there's so much culture and theme and mood and commentary and conceptualism all baked into so much of this art, you can't judge it, A, against each other, you can't judge it against any other art movement in history. Everything has to be looked at in its own vacuum. And it says, does this piece succeed? Is it awesome? There is not a word to describe that in the traditional artistic vernacular. And I love the fact that Art Gnome adopted this word dankness from a way that was, or a word that was used to describe rare pepes, right? Dank rares. Um, that's what the thing is, right? It is only judged by the success and the metrics or the success 
that it achieves within its own metrics. Um, and I just, I love mm. that. Mm. I think it's so powerful. I don't have anything to add to that. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And that's what makes it so wonderful is that so many different things are dank to so many different people. Mm -hmm. And no, nobody can tell you what is dank to you. I mean, I just, I've always been an aesthetics person when it comes to crypto art. My very first assignment from the museum was picking out a piece from the Genesis collection and writing about it. And I literally just went through and was like, what piece is standing out to me, right? It's that ephemeral quality. Claire Silver calls it qualia. Um, the, like this quality that the thing has, it's ineffable, but it's so expressive. I picked out Floyd's Facets by Fab Yellow, a wonderful piece if anyone should mm. come across it. But th it's hard to describe it's hard to describe in like outside of the context, but you look at it and it just has it right. It sets out the metrics by which it's going to succeed and it meets them. Um, and that is always what I'm most attracted to the strength of vision and the ability of execution. I think that's all encapsulated in this word. So thank you to art gnome for institutionalizing that word further. Yeah. Shout out art gnome, shout out club NFT, go preserve, be good stewards of your artwork and preserve your NFTs. And shout out right click save which art gnome also founded for the purpose of providing another great reason more context for being a good steward and preservation of your artwork yeah and and just as a you know as a corollary there are so many interesting articles on artgnome.com that feel contemporary although they were written four years ago you know i found myself just lost in uh what is this one uh, here it is. Mass appropriation, radical remixing, and democratization of AI art. Right? This was written like four or five years ago. And giving generative art its due, you know, solving art's data problems. Why is AI art copyright so complicated? There's, there's, this is a, a real treasure trove of, of information from somebody who was thinking yeah. of the cutting edge. So, It's the subtext of this entire podcast, but there's a reason Art Gnome is Art Gnome. There's a reason that Art Gnome is so widely admired in the space since because he was able to conceptualize the place that this movement would go from an absolutely nascent <laughs> state within it um in an absolutely incredible way i mean so innovative so genius so so forward thinking so as a final point shout out art gnome um we are better admirers of crypto art because of you and the words that you've put together um and these texts will that you've written will continue to be read studied and appreciated in the future i'm confident in saying Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. All right. This has been the second episode of the uh, current events with Max and Coborn miniseries on the foundational text of crypto art. If you liked what you heard today and you want to hear more, uh, we release podcasts every Tuesday and every Friday. You can, and we encourage you to follow or subscribe to these podcasts on Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also give us a subscription for free on Substack at museumofcrypto.substack.com. If you want to see some writing that we put out every week, we have a weekly column called Dear Mocha that comes out every Wednesday. We are giving you thought. We are giving you action. We are giving you pizzazz. We are shaming who needs to be shamed. And we are excited to do it with you a couple times a week. Um, Colborne, any last thoughts for the people before we leave them? Mm, no. No, we have no thoughts for you. I got no thoughts. I, I, I leave it all on the table always. Really enjoy it. And that's why we love you. Thank you everyone for being here. This has been Current Events with Max Coburn and we'll see everyone real soon.
has been another episode of Current Events with Max and Coborn. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Coborn, as always, for being my co-host. Our intro music was composed by Julian Brangold, so a big thank you to him. And once again, thank you to all of you for being with us. We'll be back soon with another episode of Current Events. So long. <laughs>